Let's continue to worship this morning as we open up our Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. We'll be reading from verse 29 to verse 45. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find one in front of you. And Mark, chapter 1, is found on page 836. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29. Hear the word of God. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you this morning thankful and grateful. You are the God who speaks, and you have spoken. You have not left us without knowledge. You have not left us without understanding, but you have given us your perfect word. And you lead us so well in the word. And Father, once again, as we come to your word, we ask that you would lead us to see our own insufficiency. That you would lead us to see our own sins. And we pray that you would also lead us to see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ, our great Savior. That you would comfort our hearts with the gospel. That you would show us, once again, the power of the kingdom of God. That we might even taste your saving reign as it's realized in your Son. 
Father, we ask that you would work in our midst this morning through your word, that your spirit coupled with your word would work miracles, creating faith and sustaining faith. Oh God, we need your work. Would you work amongst us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're working through the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Mark is a story, and it's a dramatic, it's a a compelling story that Mark tells us about Jesus and the kingdom that Jesus bears. The story that Mark tells us has, has pace. Mark doesn't waste any time as a storyteller. He doesn't waste any words. He plunges us right into the the meat of his story and he rushes us from scene to scene. We quickly meet Jesus and then we follow Jesus from here to there. We're in the Jordan and then we're in the wilderness and then we're in Galilee and then in Capernaum. And Mark is like pushing us along in the story. He says immediately, immediately, immediately. The train, as it begins to roll down the hill, picks up steam and we can feel the the momentum as we're in the story. And it's a story that has conflict. The Gospel of Mark is not a sleeper. We're ushered into the greatest conflict of all, the battle between God and evil. And the Son of God is thrust out into the wilderness where he meets his great adversary. And this theme of conflict only heightens throughout this story. Jesus meets conflicts from all sides from demons, from unclean spirits, from religious leaders, from even his own disciples. And it's a story that has mystery. Jesus commands the unclean spirit to be quiet about his identity. And after each scene, we're left astonished by what Jesus says or what Jesus does. The crowds lead us saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. It's a story that carries immense weight. The Gospel of Mark is not a quaint bedtime story. It's not a fairy tale that we tell our children. It's not a story that exists for the sake of pure entertainment. The words and commands of Jesus that we hear in this story transcend the narrative and address us as we pick up the book and as we read it. The one who has all authority draws near to our own souls through this, through this story and commands us to repent and believe In the gospel, in the story that Mark tells has action, and this would be an understatement, this is an action gospel. Jesus is the mighty one that John pointed to. He's the one who's filled and led by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who teaches with unparalleled authority. And Jesus' authority and might is displayed fully throughout the gospel. As Mark leads us on, we encounter healing scene after healing scene. And as we probe this gospel, it seems that every condition of human weakness and frailty is here. We meet those who are blind, those who are deaf, those who are mute, paralyzed, leprous, feverish, sick, and even dead. In fact, a unique feature to the gospel of Mark is his emphasis upon healing, These episodes pepper, they they dominate Mark's storyline as he leads us through the story about Jesus. And while Jesus must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns, Jesus heals those who come to him and he casts out demons everywhere he goes. And we see that Jesus' preaching is corroborated by his mighty works and his mighty deeds, attesting to his truthfulness. 
in his character and his identity. And these healing scenes are the substance of our text this morning. After Jesus leaves the synagogue where he casts out the unclean spirit, the first thing he does is heal Simon's mother-in-law. And then Mark tells us this summary statement about Jesus' ministry. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And then in this sequence of events of healing and casting out demons and unclean spirits, we, we are led to meet a leper. And this leper comes to Jesus and he implores and he kneels and he says, If you will, you can make me clean. So with these healing stories and all of these exorcisms prayed before us again and again, and with several of these healing stories before us this morning in our text, they're staring us down we have to ask a few questions. What do we do with these stories? What do these stories teach us about the characters we meet in the Gospel of Mark? What do these stories teach us about the Lord Jesus Christ? And what do these stories teach us about ourselves and about how we fit into this world? And these healing stories exist for two reasons. They exist first to reveal the true character of Israel. And secondly, they exist to reveal the true character of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the the plan this morning is to work through our text. And as we work through our text, we're going to make two distinct readings. On our our first reading, our first pass to the text, we're going to be looking to discern the, the true character of Israel. And the second pass through our text, we're going to look to discover the true character of our Lord Jesus. So we can begin our first reading of the text. So as we begin to look at our text, verses 29 through 45, at the outset we have to notice that Jesus' ministry has a particular focus on a particular nation and on a particular people. He's ministering to the nation of Israel. And Jesus' ministry to the Gentiles does not really happen in full till after his resurrection and ascension. In fact, within the Gospel of Mark, we rarely meet any Gentiles. And within the first chapters of Mark, Jesus teaches and heals within a certain region into a, a certain subgroup of Israel, Galilee. And while the Lord Jesus begins his ministry of proclaiming the kingdom of God in Galilee, we meet a host of characters in these scenes. For the most part, these characters are either sick, unclean, demonized, or having an unclean spirit. And Mark here works as a careful artist, that he, and he paints for us a, a portrait of Israel. And this portrait that he paints of Israel is, is a striking portrait, and maybe even a, a disturbing portrait. What do we find when we look at this portrait that Mark paints? Well, we find an intense focus on disease, on death, and even demons. And the focus is pervasive throughout Mark's gospel. Everywhere Jesus goes, he is met with a host of sick people and demon-possessed people. Mark summarizes Jesus' ministry in verse 34. He says, And Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he gives another summary statement in verse 39. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues 
and casting out demons. And as we survey the gospel of Mark, we see that no one in Israel is exempt from these, these issues. Disease, death, and demons infects everybody. Sickness invades Peter's own household. His mother-in-law is sick. Even Jesus' followers are not exempt from this reality. And as we look forward in the gospel of Mark in coming chapters, we see that the rich and powerful are even infected with all of this. Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, has a daughter who gets sick and dies. And what's striking is there is no place in the nation of Israel that is free from these issues of death, demonization, and disease. Last Sunday, we heard about how Jesus entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And the synagogue was a place where the the Jews learned the scriptures and worshipped God. And what does Jesus find when he enters into the synagogue? Who appears? Well, a man with an unclean spirit. And the unholy and the unclean has infected the sacred places of Israel. So we have to ask this morning, we can take a step back. How are we to interpret this portrait of Israel? Israel is unwell. Israel is diseased. They're demonized. And we have to be clear this morning. Mark is not a a pessimistic newspaper journalist who only publishes the negative things. Nor is Mark a sensationalist who just wants to catch our attention with the gruesome and strange to keep us plugging along in his gospel. Rather, Mark, as he parades before us, these people who are unwell, these people who are diseased, these people who are demonized, he's making a theological claim about Israel. And even more than this, Mark is making an indictment against Israel. In order to understand what Mark is doing here, we need to do what we've been doing throughout this series and turning back to the Old Testament, in particular to the book of Deuteronomy. And what's so helpful about the book of Deuteronomy is that the book of Deuteronomy really encapsulates the whole message of the Old Testament. There's two phases in the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy retells the story of what God has done for Israel, how he has saved them. And then there's another part. The book of Deuteronomy tells the people of Israel how how they must live before the Lord, their God, who saved them. And so this morning, in order to understand the gospel of Mark and who Israel is and who Jesus is, we need to barrage the book of Deuteronomy with questions this morning. We can go to Moses and we can ask. And so our first question for Moses is this. What did God do for Israel? And Moses answers in Deuteronomy chapter 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And we can proceed further this morning in our questioning. Why did God save Israel? Was it because they were a great people? Was it because they were a righteous people? Was it because they were a special people? Or they were a numerous people? Well, Deuteronomy 7 answers. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. It was not because you are more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love upon you and chose you, but because the Lord loved you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. And we can press on. What does this God desire for his people? He saved them. Well, the book of Deuteronomy makes clear God's goodness, his utter goodness to Israel. God desires to give his people the best. 
He's promised them land and homes and even pastures, everything that they need to thrive in the land. So Deuteronomy is clear this morning about God and his salvation. Israel didn't earn it, nor did they deserve it. Salvation and all these gifts that God pours out on Israel are evidences of his love, his faithfulness, his goodness, his generosity. But this isn't all that Deuteronomy has to say to Israel. Deuteronomy is a covenant book and it's been written for a covenant people. And because Israel is a covenant people, God's love comes to them with obligations. Because God has saved them, they must live differently. They must live in light of this salvation and this covenant which God has made with them. So we can ask Moses, what must Israel do in light of God's salvation? Well, Deuteronomy 6 answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And what will happen if Israel keeps their love with the Lord and they they maintain the covenant? They walk before the Lord in faithfulness and love. Well, Moses answers in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 and 15. Note the words that are used here. Moses goes on to say, And because you listen to these rules and keep them and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of the ground. You shall be blessed above all peoples. And note this. And the Lord your God will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt which you knew will he inflict upon you. So we ask the question, what will happen if Israel keeps love? And we can ask the inverse, what will happen if Israel forsakes love? What if they break the covenant? What if they turn away from God and his law and put it behind them? Well, the book of Deuteronomy has covenant curses. Deuteronomy chapter 28 Moses says to Israel, The Lord will make pestilence stick to you. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch, of which you cannot be healed. So, what does Mark do in his gospel? Well, he prays before us the dying, the diseased, and the demonized. And with the book of Deuteronomy open in our left hand and the book of Mark opened in our right hand, we can begin to make sense of what Mark is doing here as he tells the story about Jesus. The problem with Israel is not that they are just sick. They are sick, but there's something else going on here. There's something deeper. And the book of Deuteronomy helps us trace their diseases back to the root cause. They are a people who have broken covenant with their God. They have not loved the Lord their God with all their heart. They have not loved the Lord their God with all their soul or with all their might. We see in the Gospel of Mark, they are suffering the covenant curses of God. And Mark tells us something about Israel. These people are rotten to the core. And as we keep reading in the Gospel of Mark, the problem of Israel only gets 
worse. Not only is Israel rotten to the core on the inside, but there's nothing they can do about their covenantal situation. There's nothing they can do to remedy what they have done. As Mark paints this portrait of Israel, he places this picture of the leper in front of us. And he draws us near to examine this leper. Verse 40 records, And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Well, leprosy is a, a skin disease. It, it means far more than this in the scriptures, especially the Old Testament. Leprosy is a, a theologically loaded sickness. In the notable cases of leprosy in the Old Testament, it's a, it's a judgment of God. We can go back and think of Miriam in Numbers chapter 12. She opposes Moses' Moses' leadership. She sins against the Lord. And, and what does the Lord do to Miriam? Well, he strikes her with leprosy. Or we can think of King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. He neglected the law of the Lord. So what does the Lord do to this king? Well, he strikes him with leprosy. And to be a leper was a, a terrible existence. A leper, a leper is a, a picture of the, a walking dead, like a zombie. A leper is exiled from the presence of Lord and from the community of people. He's moved out from his family and his home and his friends. Leviticus chapter 13 tells us about the life of a, a leper. The law demands this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling place shall be outside the camp. But even more than all of these things, judgment from God, terrible existence, what made leprosy a terrible sickness was the fact that there was no cure for leprosy. You can scour the Old Testament law and turn it inside and out. You can look into the book of Leviticus. You can examine the book of Numbers. But the law provides no relief or salvation for the leper. The law only diagnoses the leper's condition. It only separates the leper. And ultimately, the law only condemns the leper. And here in the Gospel of Mark, we begin to see the portrait of Israel come full circle. There are people dying there are people diseased and demonized. And to make matters all the worse, they're like a leper who can't do anything to remedy their situation. The law provides no relief or rest for them. And Leviticus renders the character of Israel clearly. Unclean. Unclean. Well, we can make our, our second reading of the text now. Mark paints this picture of Israel not so that we would grow depressed and despondent, but he paints this picture of Israel with vivid colors so that when we come to Jesus Christ, we might see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ as a great savior. Jesus is the one fit to remedy Israel's condition. And so we see in Mark's portrait, Israel is dying, they're diseased, they're demonized, and then Jesus appears in the gospel of Mark and he's the one uniquely fit to heal this broken people. Jesus doesn't just talk about the kingdom of God. He doesn't just teach about the kingdom of God. But in Jesus' ministry, we see the realization of the kingdom of God. The kingdom takes tangible and real form. 
in his deeds and in his works. We see in Jesus the saving power of God revealed. So in rapid fire movement, Mark reveals the character of our Savior to us. In verse 29, Jesus enters into the house of Simon and Andrew. And he finds Simon, Simon's mother-in-law sick. And so what does Jesus do for this woman? Verse 31. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. And this healing that we see in verse 29 and 31 is only an appetizer of what is to come in the gospel of Mark. The saving power of God is not just relegated to one woman in one household, but verse 32 records that evening at sundown they brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And what does Jesus do with all of these people? Well, he works salvation in their midst. Verse 34, and Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Even more than this, this salvation is not relegated to one night in one town, but this is the general pattern of Jesus' ministry. Wherever Jesus goes, salvation is found. Wherever Jesus goes, we see the mighty working of God's power. Verse 39, Mark tells us the the general pattern of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus went out throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And again, we can... Go back to the leper. So we've searched, we've scoured the scriptures. There's nothing that can be done for this leper. The priests cannot fix him. The doctors cannot heal him. The law is no help to him, but only reminds him of his cursed state. You can just imagine being a leper in the midst of Israel with Leviticus 13 sounding in your ears. You're unclean unclean and you shall remain unclean you shall live alone and your dwelling place shall be outside the camp we can just underscore the predicament of the leper this morning we can recall another famous story of leprosy from the old testament in second kings chapter 5 we hear of a man by the name of naaman and naaman was a a powerful man commander of the syrian army but this powerful man had a serious problem. He was a a leper. And nothing could be done for Naaman in his homeland. Nothing could solve his problem. And so Naaman hears this rumor that there might be salvation for him in the land of Israel. And so Naaman makes his way to Israel to find healing. So Naaman shows up in Israel and he, he meets the king of Israel. He hands the king a letter from his king. And the king of Israel is completely exasperated. By Naaman. Because the king of Israel knows that nothing can be done for this leper. The king cries out, he says, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? And the point is clear. No, no human, no institution, no, no king can solve this problem. We can return back to chapter 1 in Mark. The leper here. He defies normal conventions. He doesn't stay by himself. He doesn't stay away from the clean and the healthy. Rather, he makes his way to Jesus. And even more than this, he cries out to Jesus as his only source of salvation. Verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. 
You just can feel the desperation within the leper. He comes to Jesus imploring him and kneeling him. The leper recognized something unique in the Lord Jesus. He recognized someone sufficient and able to save him. And he places his faith in the Lord Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. So what happens? Now, verses 41 and 42, Mark records. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. There is so much glory and beauty in this text this morning. What the law couldn't do for the leper, what the priests couldn't do for the leper, what no doctor could heal, what no king could make happen, what no man could remedy, the Lord Jesus Christ does by the power of his word. We can just note again Mark's words. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. We can remember Leviticus 13. The leper's unclean. He wasn't to be touched. He wasn't to be communed with. He was to be outside the realm of people who are clean. But the Lord Jesus touches him. And Jesus doesn't become unclean. Rather, here we see the radical holiness of Jesus overcoming the unclean. And here we see the, the saving power of God revealed. Jesus makes the unclean clean. So we need to take a step back as we look at this portrait of Jesus. We have to ask, how are we to interpret? How will we make sense of this portrait? Jesus heals the sick. He comes and he casts out the demons. He makes the unclean whole. He even heals a leper. And as we cast our eyes forward in the gospel of Mark, he heals person after person after person. What's going on here? And again, we have to be clear. Mark doesn't record these stories for our amusement. This is not a medical journal that he's making for us. Rather, as Mark parades before us, healing story after healing story, he's making a profound theological claim about Jesus. In Jesus, the kingdom has arrived. In Jesus, the saving power of God is being realized. In Jesus' healing ministry, we see a, a swirl of Old Testament hopes coming to fruition. Mark assumes that as we read his gospel, we would be acquainted with these Old Testament hopes, these Old Testament expectations, and that we would see Jesus in light of these Old Testament hopes. We can go back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah is consoling his people that he preaches to about a coming day of salvation and healing. And he, and he speaks and writes to his hearers. He says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come to save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ear of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Or you could go to the book of Ezekiel. This happens in all the prophets. Ezekiel was looking forward and prophesying of a great day of salvation and healing. Ezekiel chapter 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. 
I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Mark prays before us healing story after healing story after healing story. Mark includes these healing stories as pointers and proofs that the kingdom of God has actually arrived in the ministry of Jesus. He brings these stories before us again and again to testify that the day of salvation is here. That all of God's promises are coming true in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mark writes, and he brings these stories before us so that we might know with certainty and full assurance that Jesus Christ is an able and competent Savior. So this morning we've looked at the portrait of Israel. And the portrait that Mark paints is disturbing. They're a diseased, they're a demonized, they're a dying people. They're rotten to the core. And then Mark paints for us another picture the character of the Lord Jesus. He is a competent, he is a willing, he's an able savior. So the question is now, what do we do with these portraits, the portrait of Israel? How do we apply that to our hearts? What do we do with the, the portrait of Jesus? How do we apply him to our hearts? Mark tells a story of covenant breakers living under covenant curses. And all of Israel's problems can be traced back to one source, their sin and their unfaithfulness towards God. And we can find ourselves in this story that Mark tells because we stand no differently than Israel. Every sickness, every disease, every cold, every cancer, every broken bone finds its ultimate cause in covenantal disobedience. We can ask, why is the world the way it is? Why is there so many broken people? Why is there so much brokenness in our cities and in our country? Why are bodies broken? Why are they decaying? Why do we see our friends and our loved ones dying? And the scriptures answer, well, it's because of sin. Because we have collectively as a people rebelled against our God. And every hospital, every nursing home, every sickness preaches a resounding message to us and we cannot escape it. It preaches in every country. It doesn't discriminate on the basis of race. It affects every single social class from the, the rich to the, to the poor to the middle class. And it preaches clearly and distinctly we are covenant breakers. And this is not some hocus pocus health and wellness gospel type of stuff. Rather, it's thoroughly biblical. We can trace all of our problems back to the garden story. The text of Genesis 2 echoes across history. The Lord comes to the man and he says, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we see in Genesis 2 and 3 that God brings Adam and his wife into the garden and he gives them every good thing. And he calls them to covenant obedience, to walk faithfully before him in love and holiness and righteousness. What does Israel, what does Adam do just like Israel? Well, he forsakes the good word of God and he chooses his own way. He takes the fruit and he eats it. And the curse of Genesis 3 bears down upon Adam. The Lord says, you are dust and to dust you shall return. And the curse of Genesis 3 bears down on each one of us. You are dust. To dust you shall return. 
The truth of the matter is we stand in Adam and we stand with Adam. We sinned in Adam and we've sinned with Adam. And here the story of the leper strikes us afresh. We can ask, what can be done for our situation? What can be done for a child of Adam? What can be done for a covenant breaker? Well, this morning we can look to the law, but we will find no relief in the law. It only declares to us this morning, unclean, unclean, you shall remain unclean, you shall live alone, your dwelling place shall be outside the camp. And we can look to all other sorts of sources, good or bad. God has given us so many good gifts in this world. He's given us doctors and medicine, clinics and hospitals. But at the end of the day, these gifts that God has given us only delay the inevitable. The curse of God lies heavy upon every single person It comes to us saying, you shall surely die. The Apostle Paul declares the wages of sin is death and we taste the sentence day by day. But brothers and sisters, this is only half the portrait that Mark paints for us. We've just applied the portrait of Israel to our own souls and Mark paints a portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mark's aim in this gospel story is to reveal the the good news of Jesus Christ. And in Mark, we hear the good news proclaimed from our Savior's lips as he declares the gospel of God. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And in Jesus' ministry, in these healing stories, we see the good news of of the kingdom come in tangible form. The sick are healed, the the leper is cleansed, the, the demons, they're cast out. And Mark declares boldly to us, there is salvation for the covenant breaker. And from these healing stories in chapter one, Mark leads us to the greatest healing story of all. He leads us to the cross of Christ. The Lord Jesus does not just come to deal with the fruit of our sin, but he comes to deal with the root of our sin. He comes to destroy it once and for all. And at the cross, Jesus deals once and for all with our covenant disobedience. Just like the book of Deuteronomy reveals Israel's situation that they're covenant breakers, The book of Genesis reveals our situation. We're covenant breakers as well. And Jesus comes to remedy that. And here in the gospel of Mark, the Holy One of God, Jesus, bears our sins upon his shoulders. He takes up our death sentence. The words of Genesis 2 come to us. You shall surely die. And that is what we deserve. But these words from Genesis chapter 2 become our Savior's mandate. He bears these words upon his own shoulders. He takes our sentence of death. And here and here alone in the cross of Christ, we can find forgiveness and peace and wholeness from our covenantal disobedience. And we are delivered by Jesus' death from our, our covenantal disobedience into a new and better covenant, which Jesus has underwritten through the blood. Isaiah 53 leads us This morning to see our glorious Savior, Isaiah says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Isaiah tells us this Jesus has bore our covenant disobedience in his own body. Isaiah says the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And by his stripes we are healed. So the great question this morning as we consider these two portraits, Israel and the Lord Jesus Christ, is what shall we do with this Jesus Christ of Nazareth? 
my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that we would go back to the story of the leper and that we would find in our own souls that very same desperation that that leper had when he came to Jesus imploring him and kneeling. My prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that the leper's words would be found upon our lips as we confess faith in the Lord Jesus. If you will, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus draws near to us this morning and he preaches the good news of the gospel and he commands us, repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Oh, Father, as we go to your word, we are disturbed and frightened by our own sinful position before you. We are at root covenantal, covenant breakers. We walk in covenant disobedience. We're like our father, Adam, who sinned. And your word tells our just sentence, the wages of sin is death. But we praise you this morning for Jesus Christ. What a glorious and beautiful Savior you have given us. Father, I ask, would you give us eyes this morning to see the beauty of Jesus and his sufficiency? And would you give us eager hearts that we would cling to him and say with a leper, if you will, you can make me clean. We hope in your son this morning. Amen.